Welcome to What If So What, the podcast where we ask what's possible with digital and figure out how to make it real in your business. I'm Jim Hertzfeld. And I'm Kim Chopek. We're part of Proficient's digital strategy team. And today we'll ask what if, so what, and most importantly, now what? In 1959, physicians at the University of Nebraska used a 112-mile, two-way, closed-circuit microwave television link to provide medical consults and education between the Nebraska Psychiatric Institute and the Norfolk State Hospital, also in Nebraska. It's regarded as the first practical implementation of what we now know today as a Zoom call, but more appropriately, telemedicine. The medical field is full of so many advances and really so many kinds of advances from pharmacology and radiology to nanotechnology and robotics. There's something for literally every type of nerd out there. So question for today is where does digital fit into this equation? At the time of this recording, we are coming out of one of the most significant worldwide health events in recent history. What a perfect time to talk to Tom Swanson, head of industry and strategy marketing for health and life sciences at Adobe. Tom, welcome to What If So What. Great to have you here. Thank you, Jim. I'm really looking forward to uh, spending a little time chatting about the things that we're seeing in the healthcare industry right now. Great. We'd love to hear about it. When I was kind of early in my career in the mid-90s, I was working on uh, in a research hospital and we were experimenting with the Apple Newton, which probably few people know what that is anymore. But we thought the future of telehealth and telemedicine was happening right in front of us. Sadly, the Newton didn't go very far, but it turns out we had a ways to go. Are we in the golden age of telehealth and telemedicine right now? I don't know, Jim, that I would call it the golden age. I think we are at the very beginning, right, where it is nascent in terms of, you know, adoption and the things that we can ultimately do with it. I mean, the thing about telehealth, right, is that technology is not new, but, you know, we didn't see widespread adoption from providers as because, you know, payers didn't reimburse at the same rate as they did for face-to-face visits. And since the providers didn't engage, you know, with telehealth, it didn't enable the patients, you know, or the consumers to do it either. Now, one of the things that we've seen as a result of the pandemic, right, is this holistic shift to virtual as far as, you know, alternative ways of engaging your doctor, right? So it kind of forced the hand of the payers and the providers and the consumers came running. So I think that's where we are, is we're beginning to experience widespread adoption. All of the kind of initial feedback regarding how it's working, right? I think the providers are surprised at how effective it can be. Patients are loving it for a wide variety of reasons. And, you know, hopefully we can get into kind of chatting about a few of those. But that's why I think we're like right at the beginning point. And I think as adoption increases and as providers and patients get more comfortable doing more and more different things in a remote fashion, you know, and of course, then technology will change. Right. So we're excited about the idea of being able to have a video call. Right. How far away are we from, you know, having a hologram of the doctor actually, you know, come into your house? I just think what we're poised to do finally in the industry is take advantage of the cool technology that's coming along instead of just sticking, you know, with the engagement model that has been tried and true for 50 some years. 
That's interesting. I think of maybe COVID was sort of a catalyst for this. I know that I was trying to get my dad to, for a while, click and collect on his groceries. Dad, save yourself a trip, make it a little more convenient. And it really took the pandemic to sort of push him over the edge and he'll never do it the same way again. So I think the payer provider dynamic is interesting. We'll come back to that. But I think fundamentally, when we see things take root or be successful, they really do focus on a great customer experience. So what is it about the customer, the patient experience that is different because of some of these advances? Telehealth is a perfect example of shifting the patient, right, or the customer into the center of the engagement model, as opposed to historically what we've seen with our doctors is that their availability, right, or scheduling an appointment is done around their schedule, not necessarily ours as consumers. And what telehealth has done, right, is it has kind of reintroduced the house call in the sense that the doctor is coming to you as opposed to you going to the doctor. And by the doctor coming to you, you're increasing your convenience kind of access level. And one of the things that I think is interesting that maybe was unanticipated as a result of this shift to telehealth is you're actually spending more time with the doctor. Right. We've seen on average that right face to face conversation with their patient has expanded from about 12 minutes to over 20 minutes. And I think a significant part of that is that when a telehealth call is scheduled, you both get on at that time, as opposed to you having to get in the car, travel to the doctor's office spend 10, 15 minutes in the waiting room, maybe filling out forms, you know, updating your insurance information. Then you get taken back into the exam room and maybe you're, you spend another 10, 20 minutes in the exam room waiting for the doctor. And so you're, you know, 30, 40 minutes invested into this experience and have yet to actually meet the person that, you know, you're there to meet. And I think, you know, telehealth has eliminated a lot of that friction and put the, the the customer in the center of the engagement model, like I said. But it's also freed the doctors, right? Instead of having to rush from patient to patient to patient in order to hit everyone who is scheduled, they have more time to actually spend engaging in conversation or engaging in, you know, the personal journey of the patient that they're meeting with through that virtual forum, right? So I think all of that has ultimately resulted in a better experience for both when it comes to kind of routine care. That goes back to, Jim, to something that I said before, as far as kind of where I think we can go with telehealth or virtual care is as doctors and patients become more comfortable with virtual being a viable channel for more types of treatment or more types of engagement, as opposed to just kind of the routine things like, hey, look at this rash or, you know, I don't feel so good or I have a bad headache, right? Expanding it to cover greater healthcare options is where I think we'll go in the immediate future. The waiting room is the only place I got to read Sports Illustrated or National Geographic or better homes and garden. So I do miss that. But nowadays, you don't want to touch that, right? That's a good call. I'll have to subscribe. That's probably good for the publishing industry. 
But you made the distinction, you just called out something in my mind, telehealth and virtual care. So help me understand the difference. Is virtual care different than a visit? Is it things like wearables and electronic monitoring? What's entailed there? Is that the future? Is that where some of this is going? Well, I think it's you know, the immediate future, then you can say that the future is now, right? Because that technology exists. And yeah, I think there is a difference between telehealth, right? Where I think right now, our notion of telehealth is limited to this idea of a video call with your doctor, right? Or perhaps even just a phone call, right? If, if you don't happen to have, you know, enough internet bandwidth or whatever to do the video part, right? So it truly is kind of tele limited into what you can accomplish via video or via a phone. You bring up wearables, right? I think wearables are a fascinating kind of next step in virtual care, right? Because they are real-time monitors of real-time lifestyle and health data, right? So the ubiquitous Apple Watch is now capable of producing a clinical-grade EKG, How cool is that? They can take your blood pressure. It can do a pulse ox. There are applications for the watch itself to be able to replace finger sticks, right, as far as diabetes maintenance and management is concerned. So the thought that that little device on your wrist can actually replace a lot of kind of the clinical measurement that would typically take place in the doctor's office is one aspect of it. I think another part of it that is super cool is that it is like a real-time day-to-day monitoring opportunity for your healthcare provider as opposed to the snapshot that you get you know, by going to the doctor's office and they take your blood pressure, they weigh you, they do a pulse ox and your temperature and all of that kind of stuff at that time of the visit, right? The wearables give them the opportunity to kind of collect that real-time lifestyle and health and wellness data over a long period of time. I know I've got my annual appointment coming up two weeks before, you know, suddenly I'm exercising and I'm eating right and, you know, hoping that you can drop a few pounds before you go to the doctor's office, right? That is not a realistic picture of my health because I'm manipulating it before I go visit the doctor, right? I think the doctor would be much happier having that looking over a span of 30 days or 60 days or 90 days, having all of that real-time monitoring data from the wearables available to make healthcare and wellness decisions. That just makes total sense from a basic data analytics perspective. I'm curious how, and maybe it's too early, but how does that additional fidelity and insight leading to outcomes? Is there any data on that side of it? There's two parts of that. You know, you just triggered an interesting thought, right? I think one, obviously, having that degree of real-time data available to your physician is going to enable them to craft a much more personal treatment plan or whatever, you know, whatever it is that you're seeing your doctor for. It's just going to give them more accurate information. And I think we're all probably very guilty, too, of maybe not being quite as forthcoming with the doctor regarding a problem or something as maybe you should be. 
right? But I think the thing you just triggered in my mind is the other side of the coin, right? Which is as a patient, if you are kind of more proactively engaged in that, you know that your doctor or your insurance company is receiving that data. There is essentially an audience that's watching how you're exercising, how you're sleeping, right? How you are maintaining your wellness and health. I think you might be a little more kind of aggressive or a little bit more proactive about it, right? Knowing that that data is being shared. I think there's two sides of it, right? Personalization of the care journey from the physician side as a result of the data that they're collecting, because data enables you to know your customer better, right? And this is just another form of data. But then on the flip side, the patient side, knowing that that data is being shared, you in all likelihood will be a more proactive participant in management of your long-term wellness, which will only result in better outcomes. Yeah, I think it's an interesting parallel too. I think with how a lot of brands or you know, organizations in other industries think about their customers, I think the provider or even payer to patient relationship is, is unlike any other. You know, it's the most personal relationship you can get. It's the most personalized experience you could ask for. In other brands, retail, for example, we do a lot of work to sort of understand what audiences and, and segments and, and markets want. What are the customers looking for? We don't know. How do their tastes change? We often find too, there's a lot, there's a big difference between what they tell you and what they actually do. So I think the power of data, of journey sciences is extremely powerful across the board. I guess when we think about other industries, I think work we've done with, especially on the provider side, they're, they're very interested in understanding what retailers are doing. You know, there's a sort of odd, ironic sort of jealousy or curiosity about the tactics that they use to get closer to their customers or their patients. But if you're in another industry, if you are, Outside of health and life sciences, the provider and, and payer space, even the pharma space, what can they learn from what's happening here? Usually, in all the conversations that we have, approach it from the other perspective, like you were just talking about, like what can healthcare learn from other industries? Because the healthcare industry has been such a laggard, right, when it comes to adopting digital technologies and to personalizing experiences. I think if we were to turn it, I think there's two things that other industries can learn from healthcare. The first is trust, right? Which I think is often something that's really overlooked when it comes to digital engagements, right? Or virtual engagements is how much do you trust the entity that you're engaging with? And I think what we've seen in the healthcare industry and it goes right back to what we were just talking about with the wearables, right, is a trust with that type of data, personally, you know, protected health information, I mean, really personal clinical data that you trust with not only your provider, but also your payer gives them the ability to know you in a way that a retailer or a bank never will. So I think being able to establish that kind of degree of trust that you're going to use the data you're collecting in order to better serve me and personalize the experience specifically for me, where I am in my buying journey. You know, that's something that retailers absolutely can learn from because I think a lot of consumers still view other industries with a jaundiced eye in terms of 
I know you're collecting data, but what are you going to do with it, right? Or is it going to be creepy? Or are you going to use it in a way that I don't want you to? Which is the exact reason that GDPR came to pass. Companies now have to tell you the data that they have on you, and they have to be able to edit it or eliminate it based on consumer demands. So trust is one. And the other one, I think, is empathy. Because empathy is something that we've actually seen kind of a rebirth of since the pandemic, whether it's this notion that we're all in it together, right? And let's work together and help each other out, mask up, get vaccinated, whatever it might be, we can help each other. There's also an element of kind of interaction with your healthcare ecosystem. It comes from telehealth. It comes from putting the patient in the center of the engagement model where patients feel like doctors are spending more time with me. They understand me better. I'm having more conversations, right? It's not simply a transactional engagement. And I think feeling, right, that someone else understands you and they get where you are in whether it's your decision making process, your buying process or wellness journey, feeling that you're understood and that they care and are paying attention to your needs and your preferences and things like that. I mean, I think those two things are things that can be taken from healthcare. I'm so glad we came to that question because that's such a phenomenal answer. I love that response about trust and empathy. And I think you're right. We're all working from home. I had a snowstorm not long ago. We lost my ISP. And like everything, you don't know what you got till it's gone. But that was the experience that I wanted was, hey, I'm trying to get work done. I've lost communication with the outside world. You know, I want a partner to make sure that it's working right, that I'm, that's going to get reconnected, that I know what's happening. I think it's a great scenario. Now, I'm just talking about cable service or my ISP, but maybe it's my vehicle or virtually any service or or any brand that I have brought into my life because they're making it more convenient for me, right? They're keeping me safe or keeping my business competitive. I think that is a great way to look at it. So I really appreciate that answer. Yeah, you bet. I think it's an aspect I think that was lost from a lot of interactions in society in general, right? And I think if There's a handful of silver linings, I think, that have come out of pandemic. And that's one of them is people seem to be nicer to each other and they're paying more attention to whether what they want to do is going to impact somebody else. Empathy, trust, big, important things that I think healthcare has that other industries do not. Yeah. And I agree. Strong values for other brands to take care of. I want to leave on that positive note, Tom. That was wonderful, seriously. And I really appreciate that insight. And I hope some other categories and brands listening will take that personally. And I think they will. I know many are. So Tom, thanks for joining us today. Great conversation. Looking forward to the next one. Thank you, Jim. Very much enjoyed it. And everybody needs to go back and think about how things were in the 80s. It was it was better then, right, Jim? Well, maybe we can go back to the future, Tom. <laughs> Is that, does that work? I don't... Well played. (laughs) Very well played. Take care, Tom. Okay. Bye-bye. So I'm back with Kim for a recap of this interview and some takeaways. Kim, what'd you think of Tom's point of view today? Hey, Jim. 
You know, healthcare is not my industry that I know a, a ton about. So I thought it was fascinating. I thought his observations around the pent up patient demand for what he's calling alternative access to doctors, consumers came running. It's kind of crazy, though, because I don't think that was a new demand. Was that industry not listening before? I thought, you know, it was kind of fascinating. And I think for an industry that's I think, you know, all about getting people healthy and staying healthy. It's probably one of the least customer centric industries out there as a person who's experienced it. And then, you know, listening to some of Tom's comments, I just have to think with all the new customer centric technology enablement in health, maybe, you know, if people get on board, you might ultimately see better efficacy in diagnostics and treatments, maybe some better results, sort of kind of analogous to a higher lifetime value, right? Maybe people will live longer. Right. Literally lifetime value. <laughs> I, I hate to kind of go here immediately. Right. But there's kind of a key question that came sprung right to mind for me when you were saying that. And it's almost cliche, but how do you put a value on human life? You know, the reality is, and it's going to sound cynical, but there is a field of medical economics that actually does. You know, there are actuarial sciences. There are folks whose job is to figure out exactly, just take life insurance, for example. How long do I think you're going to go, right? How long will you be paying in? So it's kind of naive to think that that's not part of the equation. But I think that's one of the things that makes this so challenging because what is more sacred than human life? And so you have these sort of both ends of the spectrum. I think it's that's what's always made this field a little bit different. I think we've said before, it's the most personal industry you could get into. You think about personalization in this digital sense, but I think like so many things, this whole season, Kim, we're going to be talking about how COVID sort of forced the hand. Maybe Tommy had mentioned this, I heard it somewhere else, but telehealth technology, like it, it's not new. It's kind of like I talked in the opening, right? The concept has been around forever. It was sort of done in the late 50s in a weird way, right? But somewhere along the line, the insurance payers just didn't reimburse it at the same rate. And so COVID just made it happen, right? And what's tough sometimes is acknowledging that some things just take major disruption to happen, which is what's kind of exciting and scary about disruption. It is. And to your point, healthcare isn't the only industry that had to change overnight, but it certainly seems to have experienced bigger changes, more impactful changes than retail, than you know some of the other industries that we have guests speaking about. And I think we're going to see that in other episodes, right? With some of the other folks we've talked to in this season, but the other thing, you know, that is related, like to talk about telehealth for a while, but we've talked about the instrumented patient, right? The idea that you can self-monitor, you know, we've created electronic tracking mechanisms and all sorts of devices from CPAP machines to, of course, the, the iWatch and the Fitbit and others, you know, and so I think that's an interesting frontier, you know, I don't know what the disruption will be there, but that's something we've been talking about for a long time. How does that affect behavior? You know, how does that change? What sort of conveniences does that create? What sort of behaviors does that modify? How does it lead to outcomes? You know, when someone is watching you, right? Versus <laughs> instead of you, you're coming in and weighing in once a year, you know? Yeah. Well, someone who's addicted to my Apple Watch, I can tell you, I've learned a ton more about myself. And it really is that convenience of having that data, of having that access. I'm not as concerned about privacy because I'm seeing the benefit of having this information. Yeah. And that's always the line, right? It's creepy until it's convenient. We'll trade privacy for convenience for the most part. So 
I thought this is great. You know, I'm glad Tom joined us. So many topics are timely with COVID and of course, COVID being the most significant health event, right? That we've all experienced together. So let's kind of get into the what if here, Kim. When we were talking to Tom about this, you know, the thing that really stuck out is like, what if you never had to visit your doctor again? That's super convenient for me, right? You know, we're many of us who are used to not leaving our house. So you've kind of grown accustomed to it and you get all the benefit, but you didn't have to drive and wait and all that. So I was thinking like, you know, if you convert this, what if maybe a little broader and you said, what if you can go to your customer instead of them inconveniently having to go to you? And in, and in a way, you know, retail disrupted this a long time ago, but what if you could be proactive about that? You know, what if you could monitor not just behavior, but the stock in your refrigerator, right? Or, you know, the way your kids drive, Telematics has been around for a long time, transforming the job site. You know, Amazon has done so much with analytics. There's the Disney magic bracelet. These all these conveniences that come together. It's not a secret. Healthcare has been considering these for a long time. But what if all this stuff could come together and we could really make it as convenient as possible to be as healthy as possible? Sounds great, right? Kim, is this the revelation that people needed to buy into the so what? What do you think? It makes me wonder as much as, like I said, I love my Apple watch and have experienced the magic of the Disney magic bracelet. It is magical. It really makes me wonder. I mean, when we're looking at the health industry in particular, so behind in customer centric thinking, not to mention the modernization of these enabling doctor patient communication technologies, like you said, that's no secret. But I wonder, just because these new technologies allow the doctor to come to you, does that really mean that compliance on the patient side will be there post, you know, this release of the pent up demand? I just keep thinking, yes, major disruption, but just because you build it doesn't mean they will come. And that's human nature. We've seen that over and over and over. It reminds me of one of my past clients, not in the medical industry, but in the beauty and kind of healthcare industry. They had a very powerful formula they wanted to release to the market. They felt like it worked, but it only worked if the consumer actually complied with applying it. I think it was three times a day. So that's kind of a big deal. So what we helped them, you know, kind of develop was a compliant system. So once you buy this product, you can register as a customer and sign up basically for texts or emails to remind you to apply it. And it sounds like such a simple solution, but without that, we saw efficacy, you know, way down consumer and customer complaints way up. So I think past the virtual visits, the healthcare industry, I think would do really well to look at retail experiences. And I know you and Tom discussed this, but I, I think it's true. Look at retail experiences for cues and trends and customer expectations and just planning their digital portfolios. We often talk about the last best experience you have being the new experience benchmark for you. And the healthcare industry is not going to be excused from those great customer experiences anymore. There's a new bar. Yeah, Kim, I think expectations are powerful, but part of that is also just sort of like deep human factors, right? In, in behavior and a little bit of industrial psychology, right? Whereas, you know, branding is a little pop psychology. I think there's some, there's some deeper tactics that come into play, which I think maybe takes us to the now what. I've said it before, healthcare is the most personalized industry. And, you know, I think to your point, to you really focus on expectations and focus on behavior, I think really comes back to some of our old standbys, which is trust and empathy. 
And again, I think we're going to see this beyond healthcare. We'll see this in conversations about supply chain. We'll see this certainly around personalization. We'll see this in so many lifestyle-oriented industries or industries that are trying to become your life partner, right? Whether that's your insurance, your doctor, your cable company, the car you drive, right? I think there's a big move around this and it all starts with trust and empathy. Do I trust this brand? You know, can I rely on the brand? Do they get me? Do they understand my real needs? You know, and that anticipation is really important. So we say that all the time. I'm still surprised that organizations really don't do it. And I know we're working with a client right now, a very technically driven client at the moment, you know, they're solving some technical problems and it's going to be really cool. They're going to be doing something that's really innovative but they're just scratching the surface on what it means in terms of human interaction. I really think that starts with empathizing and understanding the journeys and finding ways to continue to build and deliver on trust, you know, understanding the greater needs, like what don't you know? And not violating their unspoken needs, you know, respect and privacy. And gosh, I, you know, I'm a caregiver. I wish I'd known that about my dad, but my dad wasn't ready to share that with me. These really fine-grained elements that I think direct providers, right? The nurses and doctors in the front lines, they live this every day, but can get lost in the translation, I think, when you convert it into a digital product or a digital experience that honestly is run by people like us. And so, you know, you really got to take that step. That's my now what. Just don't forget about trust and empathy. Yeah. And knowing what your customer wants. You know, I'm not sure about the hologram idea that was discussed. I don't know if I'm quite ready for my doctor to show up in my house as a hologram, but everything else that we talked about and certainly the empathy and trust being a cornerstone sounds like a pretty healthy strategy to me, Jim. A healthy strategy? That's pretty good, Kim. (laughs) That's pretty good. I got a fever and the only prescription is more digital. How about that? (laughs) Even better. Really want to go for it. All right, Kim, can't wait to talk again. Till then, keep asking what if, so what, and now what? You've been listening to What If, So What, the digital strategy podcast from Proficient with Jim Hertzfeld and Kim Chopek. We want to thank our Proficient colleagues, J.D. Norman and Rick Bauer for our music today. Subscribe to the podcast and don't miss a single episode. You can find this season along with show notes at proficient.com. Thanks for listening.